Good morning everybody. I hope you're doing okay with the lockdown and everything. Hope that you've had a good week and one that's had at least some rest and some joy in it. I'd like to read from Ephesians 6 verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Our God is overwhelmingly generous and kind, and his heart for us is that we flourish and grow strong in spirit. God wants to make us strong in spirit and rich in faith and hope and love. Because we're his and because he loves us, he wants us to thrive and not just survive. Jesus modelled that. He experienced pain and stress and struggle and disappointment and all the temptations that we do. But he also lived a life of faith, not fear. God's heart for us is to become strong in spirit, rich in faith and hope and love. Paul modelled this too. As we've already noted, he wrote Ephesians under house arrest, which has quite a lot of parallels to being in lockdown. And what Paul did was to lift his eyes from that and look to heaven and what is eternal and not just temporary. The orientation of Paul's heart, his basic posture, was to take delight in God and surrender to him. It's easy to just endure, to put up with it all, get through it with gritted teeth, as best we can escape whenever or however we can into something else. But God has something better for us than that. He uses hardship when it happens to develop our character and our strength so that we can live well in uncertain times and be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. He teaches us to take hold of the strength that is ours through the spirit when we give up the illusion of independence and control. With the armour of God around us and in a posture of having an outlook as people who are full of confidence in God and facing towards trouble, not away from it. If you're in the front, in the front line of an army, you need to face towards what is coming, not away from it. And last week, Nikkei spoke powerfully about the influences that shape our identity, 
how our parents see us and many other influences that shape our view of ourselves, and then the way that God sees us as his chosen and much loved children. And she asked, who or what are you allowing to shape your sense of identity? And with that in mind, over the next few weeks, we are going to be looking at the pieces of the armour of God. And the first one is the belt of truth. And Paul has the armour of a Roman soldier in mind. In the Roman army, the belt was a thick piece of leather, much wider than anything you might use to keep up your trousers. It was reinforced with metal and it had straps hanging down in front of your waist and your groin. And those bits were reinforced with metal to make them really strong. And it was a substantial bit of gear, not sort of a little poxy strap, a substantial piece of equipment to protect you in one of your most vulnerable places. And it is significant that the very first piece of armour Paul mentions is the belt of truth. Before the breastplate, the helmet, the boots, the belt of truth comes first. Truth is a big deal in the Bible. All through the New Testament, the way of Jesus is described as the truth. In John chapter 1, we have seen his glory as the one and only, full of grace and truth. Jesus told the Samaritan woman that those who worship the Father must do so in spirit and in truth. In John 8, Jesus tells the crowd of would-be disciples, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And then in John 14 at the Last Supper, when the disciples were confused and afraid, Jesus said to them, do not let your hearts be troubled. That's a good word for today. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. I am the way, the truth and the life. And later that evening, Jesus speaks about the gift of the Spirit who will guide you into all truth. Not just in John, again and again in all the Gospels when Jesus speaks to the disciples and he wants to emphasise something, he says, I tell you the truth or truly, truly, I say to you. All through the Gospels and the letters, the way of Jesus is described as the truth. And of course, the way and the life are just as important, but the truth is right there out in front with them. And in the beginning, we fell from grace because we were deceived by the enemy, persuaded to believe a lie, to believe that God does not really love us and have our best interests at heart. And that readiness to believe things that are not true and not believe things that are true has been a tragic part of human history ever since. So I want to ask you, have you taken hold of the confidence that should be yours in the gospel in Jesus himself? To put it another way, do you have confidence that the gospel is actually true? Especially maybe when you are in a context with people who aren't Christians. The first thing the enemy attacked in the garden was our trust in God and in his motives. 
know, there's a reason why God doesn't want you to eat that fruit. And that tactic hasn't changed. And today in the West, we've stopped believing in a spiritual world. We believe only in things we can see and touch, and we make up what's right and wrong for ourselves. As Paul says in Romans 1, we have exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. Which means that our universe has shrunk. There are no more angels. There's no more eternity. No more narratives that make sense of how the world is how it is. No looking up at the stars, seeing the beauty and the wonder of a creator, of a saviour who gave himself for me, through whom my sins are forgiven. No more being part of a family of heaven, of standing right on the edge of eternity. No more looking to God when we're in trouble, knowing that he is the one who can rescue us. And of course, not believing in spiritual realities doesn't make them any less true. And when truth is repressed in one direction, it usually comes out in another, which is why I think we have an explosion of fantasy and science fiction and supernatural and vampire and werewolf and superhero stories, Harry Potter and many, many others, usually not quite as good, all suggesting that just round the corner is another world full of wonder rather than the rather dull world we have in our heads. It's really significant that Paul starts with the truth. Also, that he puts the truth round the gut and the groin rather than round the head. If I'd written on spiritual warfare, I'd have had the helmet of truth because the head is the seat of thinking and deciding and I'd put the belt of something else. But Paul puts the belt of truth round the gut, the basic instinctive part of us. We talk about feeling things in our guts. Fear and courage are often gut experiences. And it takes a lot of courage to live with faith that Jesus is the truth, not just the way I make sense of my private experience. And sometimes you might hear things like, well, that's true for you, just not true for me. But that cannot be right. Either the gospel is true for everyone or it's not true at all. Either there is a God who made the universe and a saviour who redeemed us, or there isn't. Either we will one day all stand before the throne of God, or we won't. True for you is just a way of saying, not very honestly, that there's no external truth to your beliefs at all. It's just the way you choose to rationalise your own private experiences. But Jesus claimed to be truth. Pilate scoffed, what is truth? But our answer is that Jesus is truth. Truth is defined by him and not by human thoughts and ideas. And that's where the gut comes in. Because sooner or later, in one way or another, we will all come under pressure if we really believe that Jesus is the truth. 
Paul's teaching on the armour of God is based on us being in the front line of battle, looking ahead in the direction that trouble comes from. Our leaders are not facing the front because they don't acknowledge spiritual realities. They don't understand that behind any kind of evil stands the enemy. They don't understand how important prayer is, how important truth is. They aren't going to call us to a day or hour or time of prayer. And there is no point in being angry or annoyed about that. Why would they when they don't follow Jesus? But if they aren't facing the front, we can at least make sure that we are, that we pray every day for our city, for our country. Do you need a thicker belt of truth round your waist? Going into battle without a belt of truth would be like sending soldiers to the front line without their trousers. They would feel vulnerable, exposed and foolish. One of my own very early and unfortunately very clear memories comes from my very first term at primary school. And I remember walking up those long steps to that huge front door and all of a sudden my shorts fell down. I kind of pulled them up as quickly as I can, but everybody was laughing. I've never forgotten that moment. And it's probably a coincidence. But for me, not having a belt on that day, for me, when I came to faith, it was because many years later I was convinced that the gospel is true. It's, it's not just something I want to believe, it's something that's true. The values of this current age are subtle and undermining of faith by a thousand cuts. They don't come head on at us most of the time. It's more that God is completely ignored, belief is sidelined, mocked, ridiculed, pushed to the margin. I'd like to end with three things that Jesus said about truth. First of all, John 16, 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Maybe for you, having a stronger belt of truth is a head thing. It's about reason, about ideas, about having confidence in the gospel that it makes sense that Jesus is truth and the gospel is rational and truthful, as well as being the way and the life. Sometimes we shy away from that. Sometimes if we have doubts, we push them to the side because it doesn't feel very loyal to Jesus. But I would encourage you not to do that. But if that is in the back of your mind, to bring it out in the light and hold it honestly before God where he can get at it. Maybe you need to strengthen your belt, read or listen to something about truth. It could be reading the gospels. Or there's some material by John Mark Comer and others called this cultural moment, which I really rate, I'd recommend it to you. If you put Bridgetown Church into Google, you will find it. Or maybe from a different perspective, Bishop Tom Wright's book, Simply Christian, kind of an update of C.S. Lewis's classic work, Mere Christianity. 
but don't just read or listen. As you read, invite the spirit to guide you into all truth. And also it's really wise to make that journey with someone else who loves Jesus and trusts him and who you trust as well. Or maybe for you, a stronger belt is a heart thing. John 1:14. We have seen his glory as of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Conviction of truth comes from being in God's presence. Immersing ourselves in worship and prayer connects our heart with what is true. God speaks to us in ways too deep for just words when we come into his presence. In Psalm 51, David, reflecting on his own experience of being forgiven, says, surely you desire truth in our inward being. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you, to open your eyes to see the kingdom of God. Or maybe for you, a stronger belt is a gut thing. John 8, 31. To those who have believed in him, Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. There is something about courage and persistence and perseverance in the face of the enemy that is very much a gut thing about continuing in or holding to Jesus' word. If you follow Jesus, the Bible comes with him. Gut strength in truth comes from faith that Jesus is the Son of God and his words are true. The words of Jesus are living truth. Read his word in the presence of the Spirit. Commit yourself to following where he leads, however uncomfortable and demanding that may be. I'd like to end with prayer. Lord, would you help us to take hold of the strength that is ours through the Spirit and to seek your presence in this time of change? Would you help us to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power? Would you give us confidence that this mighty power which raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us? And God, would you speak again to our hearts about our identity, about how much you love us, how your commitment is deeper than the sea and will outlast all of creation. And God, may the belt of truth around our waist be really strong and may we have courage and confidence and perseverance to face the front line. May God bless you, protect you and give you that grace this week.